Well, good morning, Grace Church. Welcome again to Grace Church Under the Ten. We're glad to see you all here this morning. We've got a few announcements, starting with remembering that we are a Christ-centered church uh, intent on proclaiming the gospel and making disciples and sacrificially serving Jesus. And remember that we have our offering boxes outside, the two black boxes out there, so don't forget those. And uh, keep up to date on what's going on at Grace Church online and in the weekly email updates. We want to focus a little bit on serving. We have lots of ministries that are gearing back up again and uh, serving the church, and we want to make sure that everybody is using their God-given gifts to serve the Church of Christ in one way or another. So join us in finding a, a ministry leader. You can go online and click on the, the uh, serve link, and we will take your information. One thing that's getting ready to start up again is Awana. Awana will be starting up on September the 23rd, and that's on the website for registration, so you can register your kids for Awana. And, uh, and we have the sermon. Finally, we have the sermon notes, sermon notes and resources that you can find online as well. So our scripture reading to start off this morning is going to be Psalm 119. If you want to turn there with me and read Psalm 119, 1 to 8. Aleph. Oops. <laughs> Aleph. Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong but walk in his ways. You have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. Then I shall not be put to shame, having my eyes fixed on all your commandments. I will praise you with an upright heart, when I learn your righteous rules, I will keep your statutes. Do not utterly forsake me. Join me in prayer. Lord Father, we pray for your grace to be a people who will seek after you with our whole heart and walk in your ways continually to trust you, to walk with you, fixing our eyes on your word of truth for guidance and direction. Amen. Amen. Would you stand if you're able and join us as we sing?
Jesus, our song forever shall be.
you can open up to Ecclesiastes chapter 4 as Mike continues to teach through God's inspired, inerrant, infallible word. Chapter 4, starting in verse 13 to 16. Better was a poor and wise youth than an old and foolish king who knew, no longer knew how to take advice. For he went from prison to the throne, though in his own kingdom he had been born poor. I saw all the living who move about under the sun, along with that youth who was to stand in the king's place. There was no end of all the people, all of whom he led, Yet those who come later will not rejoice in him. Surely this also is vanity and striving after wind. Our missionary highlight this week is Ted and Kaylin Offit, who serve in Atlanta, Georgia. They do time, spend time training missionaries and serving at a church plant. Uh, you may be seated. And please join me in prayer. Father in heaven, we glorify you and give you thanks for your eternal blessings you have given to us. You have created all things for your glory and have given us the blessing to enjoy all that you have made. You are more gracious to us than we deserve. We come to you today from so many places, hurting from the brokenness of this world and the brokenness of our own lives. We have rebelled against you as foolish, ignorant people. We confess and repent of our sin in the many ways we have not trusted you in providing for us and for seeking after the idols of the world that leave us empty. We thank you, gracious, all-patient Father, for your Son, Jesus. We are nothing without him and his atoning sacrifice to pay for our selfishness, our pride, our ignorance, and our rebellion. Thank you, Jesus. We pray for restoration, revival, and re renewal in our daily lives, in our church, and our relationships with one another. We want to lift the Offit family to you for your hand to guide them and provide for them in the ministry of the gospel. And we pray now for the preaching of your word that you would allow us to hear and understand how you are revealing yourself to us, that we would know you better and have transformed hearts and minds. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you sing with us? I will glory in my redeemer. 
Father, we look forward to that day when we will behold your face. And we ask even now as we look at your word, God, would we see you more clearly? Though not fully, God, would we see you more clearly than we did before we came? And would our lives be transformed because of it? We ask that your spirit would illuminate the word in our minds and hearts as we listen, as we partake in the preaching of the word. We ask and pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Good day, everyone. Let me start with a question. What do politics have to do with Christian community? I know, I said the word politics. Some of you, your blood pressure is rising. Your pulse is quickening. Politics is feisty, isn't it? It's juicy. It's like it gets the juices flowing. What do politics have to do with Christian community? According to the Bible, plenty. Christians are in the world, but not of it. We are citizens of heaven, but we are in the human community. We are observing, we are doing, we are speaking into things, we are reacting. Part of the larger human community, and so politics plays into our life. Some people more than others. But Christian community gets hindered often because in the church there are conflicting political views and relationships get fractured because of them. I mean, we're living in a time when people are force-feeding us their political views. Politicians are force-feeding their views to us. Professional athletes are force-feeding their political views to us. Friends and family are force-feeding their political views towards us. And friends in the church, fellow Christians, are force-feeding their political views to us. And so, it is tough to navigate without taking the bait, right? Some of you have done that. You keep on getting into arguments because this is tough to navigate without taking the bait. Politics are explosive. They demand your attention. Uh, they, they, the fight for popularity and power in the human realm uh, stirs up so many people and conflict results. In the Christian community, we saw last week, is strengthened as we look to Christ as our help, as our comfort, as our defender. And then as we turn and help and comfort and defend our brothers and sisters in Christ. This Christian community that we've been talking about is ordinary and it doesn't scream for your attention. It doesn't selfishly and sinfully demand for you to notice. And so in Christian community, you've got to pay attention. It's not screaming for your attention, but you must pay attention. 
beginning back in chapter 3, Solomon in Ecclesiastes started observing things that were the outcroppings of human depravity. And so he saw that there was injustice and there is oppression and there is loneliness and laziness and greediness. And he saw all these things and these are objections to the sovereignty of God that people are living in ways that aren't acknowledging God and all of these things, injustice and oppression and envy and, and, and the like, all can fracture Christian community if we're not careful. And so in this passage today, in Ecclesiastes 4, verses 13 through 16, Solomon is observing politics, an old king and a young king, and he's observing the short-lived popularity and power of the great. This passage contains four clear contrasts. They're just out there. They're things you can observe. The first contrast, you see it in verse 13, it's between the wise and the foolish. The wise and the foolish. There's wise people, there's foolish people. And in this passage, we see a stubborn old king who stayed beyond his expiration date. He was out of touch. He was no longer teachable. Verse 13 says, Better was a poor and wise youth than an old and foolish king who no longer knew how to take advice. Couldn't take admonition, couldn't take instruction, ignored warnings, pushed counselors away, acted as a loner. So Solomon says, better it is to be poor and young and wise as a future king than to be this old, rich, foolish, present king. This king that he refers to, whether proverbially or actually, um, presumably was, was wise earlier on and then became foolish. So when he was younger, he was teachable, but now he knows better. Now he knows better than everyone else and doesn't need anyone else's advice. Isn't that the way things go in life? This is what we do. We start off humble and then we become proud and arrogant. It happens by degrees. Don't even realize it's going on. It's this gradual slide. It's like the frog in the kettle. You just turn the heat up little by little by little, and the frog doesn't even realize it's getting boiled to death. So I was preparing this message this week. I was meeting with someone, and someone very close to me, and they, and they said to me at one point, you just don't listen. You don't listen. And I felt inside, I was kind of like getting hot inside, and I'm thinking, oh no, you don't listen. And it wasn't a family member, by the way. We don't want to listen. We think everyone else is to blame. We think we're right, and all we have to do is talk them into our point of view, or if they would just see our point of view, everything would be all right. There could be some similarity here to the young and old David telling us that the finest men can go this way and be the last to realize it and not realize they've become a fool. Most likely this is not a historical portrait, but there are parallels with biblical characters. You could see Joseph and Pharaoh in this contrast. You could see Saul and David in this contrast. 
Or even Solomon's son Rehoboam, who refused the wise counsel of his elders. But there's this contrast between the wise and the foolish. It's there all the time, and we can see it. And the second contrast comes in the same verse, and it's uh, between the old and the young. Between the old and the young. He says, better was a poor and wise youth than an old and foolish king who no longer knew how to take advice. Now, he is not saying that youth is better. Some people live that way. They think, oh, you know what? You're past your prime, and so let someone else do this. And, and that's not the way Christian community goes. All ages are important and viable in the church. We need to, to honor and learn from the wisdom of those who have more years than us or more experience than us. We need to honor the aged and the aging and their wisdom. So he's not talking about the youth being better. I mean, in the Bible, sometimes the aged lack wisdom. They act foolishly. Job 12.20 says, He deprives of speech those who are trusted and takes away the discernment of the elders. And we see in the Bible that sometimes the younger are wiser than the older. Psalm 119 verse 100 says, I understand more than the aged, for I keep your precepts. I follow your word. Now, he uses the term in this verse, youth. Uh, it's translated lad or child even. It's used in the Old Testament for very young children in Genesis and Exodus. But it's also used for Joseph at age 17 in Genesis 37. But it's also used as for the companions of Rehoboam when they were age, over age 40 in 1 Kings. So we're not talking here about relative age. We're talking about... Um, um, Excuse me, we're talking about relative age. I <laughs> said that wrong. We're talking about relative age. We're not talking about the young versus the old or very, very young people. He's contrasting the, the relatively old or relatively young. And some are wise and some are foolish. You got a third contrast, rich versus poor. A lot of people will be like, well, if you're the king, you got to be, you're rich. And if you're poor, you're going to be really low. Look what verse 14 says. He went from prison to the throne Though in his own kingdom, he had been born poor. Prisons in those days didn't just house criminals and traitors. They were also a place where those unable to pay their debts or fulfill their financial obligations would stay. And the king was born in poverty. Now, I think it's easy, again, to equate being a king with being rich and being poor with being a pauper. But God puts people where he wants them in his time. But there's this contrast. Wise and foolish, old and young, rich and poor. Well, the fourth contrast we see is probably the most important for us here. And we see it in verses 15 and 16. It's between the popular and the unpopular. The popular and the unpopular. Verse 15, he says, I saw. So here is Solomon still observing, and he's experienced enough in his life, and he's lived long enough, he's traveled the world enough to see other kings go through similar things in different places, same situation though. And he says, I saw all the living who move about under the sun along with that youth who was to stand in the king's place. He, he sees it all. And he says in verse 16, there was no end to the people. They were numberless. All of whom he led. He led numberless people. He was a great ruler. And then he says this. We've got to take it to heart. He says, yet those who come later will not rejoice in him. Those who come later will not rejoice in him. Solomon 
is observing this rat race of, of humans just scurrying around. He's picturing the masses of people without number. And he's saying the young king is going to go the way of the old king. Not necessarily being foolish, but he's saying that time's going to pass and restless humans are going to find this young king no longer interesting. And he's going to reach a, a pinnacle of popularity and then he's going to be stranded there. It's another human shortcoming. It's the ultimate empty achievements of man where you, you can get so many diplomas and degrees and accolades and awards. You can get so much fame and it's fleeting. And as you're doing that, you're trying to please people. And you can't please everyone. And so people are, are not going to rejoice in you. And then you try so hard to regain what you thought you needed, and you may up denying the faith. You may up trashing your convictions in the process. I mean, living in Southern California, we are watching people going every which way but acknowledging God. They're leaning on their own supposed supremacy. They're spurring their creator, and, and it ends up in nothing. You might accumulate a lot, but what do they have to show for it? I mean, we know God sets up kings and brings kingdoms down, and, and when they go against him, Psalm 2 tells us God laughs at them as they mock him. And God knows the beginning from the end. He knows everything, and and he knows the end of those who arrogantly presume their own importance. And that can be you and I. Solomon was threatened by at least one revolutionary in his time, and he may have feared that he was going to be known as that old foolish king. And he's pointing out the fact that success and advancement and power and popularity they don't last. They're, they're fleeting. And, and, and if you're looking for permanent status in that, you're going to be disillusioned. You're going to be disappointed. You're going to be in despair. Thomas Watson said this. He said, God loves to counterplot politicians. He makes use of their own wit to undo them and hangs Haman upon his own gallows. You're trying so hard to get something in the human realm and that becomes your sole focus, and that becomes you know, the, the fixation of your life, you are going to end up deeply, deeply disillusioned. So Solomon ends on a very familiar note. He says, surely this also is vanity and a striving after wind. You can't grasp it. It's vain. He uses the, the Hebrew word habel again, vanity, fleeting, brief, frustrating. And he also uses that phrase, under the sun. You build someone up to superstar status, and you only see them crash down in a scandal, real or imagined. You build them up, they're going to crash down. Shakespeare put it this way, uneasy lies the head that wears the crown. This brief, fleeting, frustrating life doesn't last forever. Someone once asked Billy Graham, what, what's the most surprising thing about life to you? 
And he said, it's brevity. How short it is. So Solomon is using this, this word vanity and this phrase under the sun, and, and there's a very purposeful reason. He knows that something is beyond that. That this is a marker point, and he's saying, yes, this is vanity, what I'm, what I'm witnessing, and this is all under the sun, and he knows that there is something beyond it. He's acknowledging the eternal God who holds everything in his hands, the eternal God who knows all things, the eternal God who is ever-present, the eternal God who alone satisfies. He's acknowledging the eternal God who alone satis- sustains and satisfies. He's acknowledging the one who works all things together for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. If you're a Christian today and you're in Christian community with other fellow believers, you're being reminded that God is working all these moving parts in your life that are affecting us so much at our deepest level of our emotions even as we think of politics and power and just struggles of humans. And he's using it all for good for everyone who's been called according to his purpose. I think there are some, there's some lessons that God wants us to learn. I mean, what kind of lessons would God want us to be learning from this passage of Scripture as we, as we navigate politics and as we navigate in the midst of you know, Christian community, right? right this very moment? I mean, we are in a, a worldwide pandemic. We have national upheaval. And we're in an election cycle, the perfect storm. Think about all the things that are going on and all the things you're hearing, maybe in your own head, your own home, or in in the places you operate, and it's stirring you up, it's getting you off point for Jesus and the gospel, it's even drawing you away from Jesus and the gospel, and what can we learn from this passage of scripture that will help us navigate wisely in the midst of Christian community right now? How can I, how can I say it simply for us to remember here? i give you a phrase, okay? If I had to sum up this passage, it would just be this. Wisely accept what God provides. Wisely accept what God provides. There are, there are kings and rulers. There are people who follow them. Uh, there, uh, there's, there's a time stamp on all of it. And, and you're not going to always like what you get or what you see. It's like, you know, they're not going to rejoice in that leader. Wisely accept what God provides. God is the giver of every good and perfect gift. James tells us this. And sometimes these good and perfect gifts come into your life and into my life wrapped as very challenging circumstances. So let me make several observations as as we really seek to apply this passage. When you think about the wise and the foolish even, you think about the fallenness in our lives that frustrates us so much. Now, it's very easy to look at other people's fallenness and go, look how bad they are, look how warped they are. But if we really take an inward look and we think, you know what, 
I'm messed up, I can admit it, and I have uh, sinful thoughts and actions, and our fallenness frustrates us immensely. What do we do about that? We need to seek wise counsel. We actually need to, to seek wise counsel and not be the fool and not reject wise counsel, but accept it and seek it out and actually ask people. See, the foolish king used to be wise. Proverbs tells us very clearly that the wisest counsel accompanies the best plans and decisions. Proverbs 11:14 says, where there is no guidance, the people falls. But in an abundance of counselors, there is safety. There is victory even. Proverbs 15:22 says, without counsel, plans fail, but with many advisors, they succeed. Proverbs 20, verse 18, plans are established by counsel, by wise guidance, wage war. Proverbs 21, verse 5, the plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance, but everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty. And in this passage, what did the old king do? The old king just ignored all of that and went on his own, went solo, and chooses to act on his own and becomes the fool. Proverbs 18, 2 says, the fool takes no pleasure in understanding. The, the fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his own opinion. That's what the fool is like. They just want to say what they think, and they don't want to understand. There are many fools professing to be wise. They're claiming even to follow Christ, and then they egregiously bash Christ's church, the bride of Christ. There are many people who claim to follow Christ who agree with the fool and do similar things. And it grieves my heart, but it doesn't make me point the finger. What it makes me do is say, where am I falling short? What sin do I need to confess? Where have I gone that way? Where do I need to repent and walk in repentance and not feel proud? Because Jesus made it very clear. Jesus made it clear in Matthew 7 that by the fruit of your life you will be known as a believer or not. In Titus 1.16, it says they profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. This is the person that takes issue with God. This is the person that denies what the word of God says and says, no, I'm going to do what I want. This is the person who takes the Bible and fits it into their life versus aligning with God. This is the person that says, I'm doing this by myself. Stay out of my way. I think every one of us is going to be tempted to go solo and do things like this. Keep it private, kind of just do this. Rudyard Kipling put it this way, down to Gehenna or up to the throne, he travels fastest who travels alone. See, we're not looking for fast here. God's looking for faithful. Everyone in the body of Christ, everyone who's trusting Christ, is to carry their own load, Galatians 6.5, but also to bear one another's burdens in the body, Galatians 6.2. Is it, is it, isn't it easy to apply the Bible and say it's about me and my and mine? And you've got to, to take in the Bible personally, individually, but you are not to walk away and say, this is just for me to do. You're part of the body of Christ. You're part of a local assembly of believers. And so you're to bear one another's burdens. This is we and us and ours. We affect one another. We encourage one another. And we can pull each other down. 
We, we are to care for one another. We are to share the burden as we fulfill our gospel call, and it is a shared call. But what happens is when we get soiled by depravity, we can sink deeper into selfishness. That's why we need to be humble and be willing to take advice and realize we don't know it all. But we humble ourselves in God's sight. That's the call for me to do today and God's call on every believer to do today. And if there's anybody you're at odds with, reconcile with them as far as possible. Be at peace with them and do what is right. And deal with your sin. Uh, repent of foolishness often. I, I repent of foolishness often. And I, and I see sin like, like snake tracks. You know, I, I mentioned that I go hiking all the time in the hills of Orange, and I do, and so I find a lot of illustrations of life in, in there, and uh, sin is like snake tracks. And I see many more snake tracks than I do sin on the trail. I know it's, the snake's been there and lurking somewhere. Now, last night, I almost stepped on a snake. One of, me and one of my daughters, we went hiking, and it was already, it got dark on us, and I didn't ring my phone, and so we had a flashlight on her phone, and she's going, looking at the trail, and, and, and she got ahead of me a bit, and I almost stepped on a snake. And she was in first hour, and she's like, I'm like, hey, the little snakes are the poisonous ist, ist. I'm telling you, they're, they're so, they'll get you, okay? I've never been bit by a snake, but I don't want to be. And you got to watch out when you're on the trail. But guess what? You're going to see more tracks than you will snakes. Just like sin in your life and sin in other people's lives. You're going to see the results. You're going to see the evidence. Like, sin is here. There's proof of its presence. So stay alert. Because your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a, a lion seeking someone to devour. You're to resist him. Firm in your faith. Knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren in the world. So keep it real and God-fearing, folks. Everyone struggles. Just admit your need. There's not one of us here that doesn't struggle with sin. Michael Kelly observed this. People cannot believe that the fault lies with them. If you're anything like me, that's how we are. We think it's everyone else's fault. Well, my life is this way because someone said this or did this, and it's always someone else's fault. That's why we need to keep repenting as a lifestyle. Keep allowing God's word to correct us and to comfort us and to bind our conscience and keep short accounts with God and people. Live with a clear conscience before God and man as far as possible. Foolishness ruins. It just ruins. And it often goes uncorrected. Even when we see it, we, we don't correct it in ourselves or others. Uh, no one's willing to say the emperor has no clothes on, right? Every standard gets lowered. We sink deeper into sin. God's standards in the word don't change. All the one another's in the Bible, they're still there for every Christian to apply. But what happens is fear just drives us far too often. I've run into it so many times recently, it is epidemic that many will not speak the truth because they fear someone's response or they fear rejection or they fear negativity. It's in the church and in the public square. 
It's happening all over the place. And, and what goes with this is that, do you know that you're always building your reputation? Every one of us is known for the reputation we have earned. And some people say, I don't care what people think. If you're a Christian, you should. You should care what people think. Not in a crazy way where you're just afraid of everything, but you should care what kind of, of, of life is getting presented as a follower of Christ. Because there are some shameful examples that we can give. Like your true reputation matters. And you've built it. You can't control other people's perceptions of you. You can't control people's judgment of you. But you can control yourself. Self-control is a fruit of the Spirit of God. And if you don't have any self-control, it, it is valid to question if you have the Spirit of God and if you are saved or not. But if you are really trusting in the finished work of Christ, you will give, yourselves, you will give yourself fully to Christ and you will live a repentant life. Only God knows those who are saved. But there are fruit indicators. Our fallenness immensely frustrates us. So we have to seek wise counsel. Ask someone how your life comes across. Another observation that needs to be made as it relates to this passage is that formulas in life fail. You can't just say, you know, old equals wise and young equals foolish and you know, this is better than that. Solomon saw how things are and uh, he saw it in a God-oriented way. You need to see things biblically. Not just seek wise counsel, but see things biblically. It's very easy for Christians today uh, to be susceptible to see things through a different lens. Okay? To, to see things through the wrong lens. Uh, to see things through the lens of the world rather than the, the lens of the word. Uh, to see things through the lens of the therapeutic rather than the theological. To see things through uh, you know, the lens of someone's gifting rather than godliness. It's very easy for us to do. And then what happens is we twist the word of God and try to, you know, jam it into our life and make it say something it doesn't say and, you know, just press the Bible into the mold of the culture. What we've got to do is allow the Bible to shape our hearts and our worldview and that, that we would handle the word accurately to be approved unto God. So because of that, and you want to see things biblically, you have to be careful about your political views because they're fiery and they're explosive. And a lot of people will say, well, it doesn't matter what I think socially or politically. It makes no difference. It has no bearing on my Christian life. And that's simply not true. It's simply not true. Your worldview is going to drive your public and your private um, thoughts and interactions and, and your choices. If, if you're looking at things from a biblical viewpoint, you are going to, to bring your thoughts and your choices under the Word of God and test them before trotting them out to the masses. Let me ask you a question. I think it's good for all of us to ask ourselves these questions. How prevalent are your personal political views in your life and interactions? I think that's an important question for us to ask as believers. Uh, think of it as driving in a car 
Are your political views in the driver's seat? Like it shapes everything about you and you bring that into the Bible? So including your view of scripture, your political views actually drive scripture in your heart? Or are your political views in the driver's, uh, in the passenger's seat and it's too close for comfort? Just too close for comfort. Or are they in the back seat, maybe appropriately placed? Now some people say, no, they're in the trunk. I don't care. I don't think about that. That's inappropriate for a Christian to say that. To say, I don't think anything about it and I don't care and I'm disinterested. Sorry, but you're living in the world. You need to care. You could ask yourself this question. At what point do my political views become oppressive to fellow Christians? as I'm putting them out there, even to your own family, even to your friends. I mean, how might you navigate this moment, this political election cycle, best as a Christian for Christ and scripture, for Jesus and the gospel, in the most wise and Christ-honoring way. And, and just to keep it real, you know that kids, and grandkids parrot what they hear from their parents and the grandparents proclaiming, right? You know this. That kids soon parrot what their parents proclaim. How might you display the truth of the gospel? Redeem this time for Jesus and the gospel as it pertains to politics and popularity of public figures and other people. You gotta bring the Bible into the issues of the day. You gotta respond with a biblical lens. See things biblically. You don't have to always agree with every Christian. How many people are like, oh, we don't agree in politics, I'm not gonna be their friend. Really, they, they should, maybe they should become your best friend. Because you'll temper one another. You'll help each other. There is room at Grace Church of Orange for many different views, but they need to be biblically shaped. There's room here at this church for many biblically shaped views. Bring your views under the word of God. What we don't have room for is ungodliness or bickering or judgment or taking sides. Don't do that. We're, we're united in Christ by the blood of Christ for gospel ministry. So measure your opinions and your views and your thoughts by scripture. Walk wisely. Don't, don't be... Don't be the one that no longer wants to take any advice. Have nothing to do with the unfruitful deeds of darkness, as the Bible says. Seek wise counsel, see things biblically, and then another observation. See people realistically. Fame is fleeting, okay? It's just fleeting, and so see things in perspective. Don't put too much stock in humans. Realize this time we're in, it's going to pass. And the world's probably not going to blow up. Everyone's popularity is going to pass. I mean, political figures, public personas, they're going to continue to come and go. It was Andy Warhol, I think, that said everyone gets their you know, 15 minutes of fame. Well, Solomon said it first. You're going to be in the position you're in, and then someday you're not. So just don't get too enamored or too angry with public figures and people that are popular and politicians. And remember this, any fame that you have, any fame that you help grow for someone else is fleeting. It, it doesn't last forever. Just don't make too much of notable people. 
right? Don't, don't put them on a pedestal. You should appreciate them appropriately, but don't put them on, the, on a pedestal. People and times come and go. What you've got to ask is who's being glorified, God or man? You want to live life under God in Christian community. You want to have it uh, shaped uh, by the Bible. You, you want to serve Jesus and his interests, not your own. You, you want to say, I'm going to take opportunities for Jesus and the gospel, not to build my own brand. What did Paul say in Philippians 3? He said, many of whom I had often told you and now tell you even with tears, they walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, they glory in their shame, and their minds are set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him to even subject all things to himself. Don't make too much of yourself, don't make too much of anyone else. Don't try too hard to be noticed. Just be glad to be alive with no ambition but to please God. Do whatever he calls you to do. That he would be glorified. This is the life of a person who seeks wise counsel. This is the, the life of someone who sees things biblically. This is the, the life of, of someone who sees people realistically. Let me give you one more observation. It's about our faith because as, as, Paul, as, as Solomon is talking, the overriding thought is you need to wisely accept what God gives, what he provides. That the best counsel comes from God. Proverbs 16, verse 1 says, the plans of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. Verse 3 says, commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. Verse 9 says, the heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. You think of all the things that God has given, every good and perfect gift. You think of Ecclesiastes. Think of all the things that we have seen in Ecclesiastes that God provides. He gives us a, a knowledge of life after death. He gives us a knowledge of final judgment. He gives us comfort. He gives us satisfaction in our work. He gives us the ability to help and bless others. He gives us companionship and community. And here it's really, it's really giving us acceptance. Like, this is the way life is. Wrap your mind around that. This is what Solomon keeps doing. He's observing and then he's telling and teaching. He's telling us something. Accept things the way they are because God's purposes are far beyond the immediate issue. God's purposes are far beyond the immediate issue. This is the reason why I don't need to argue with anybody about politics. It's just not necessary. Not with believers or unbelievers. I don't need to go there because I'm more, more interested in your eternal soul and the good of your eternal soul. I'm more interested in what lasts forever. God's word and people. Solomon has taught us in Ecclesiastes that everyone's going to die. And we also know that everyone's going to live forever. They're going to be either in heaven or hell. The last verse of Ecclesiastes says God is going to bring every act into judgment. And everyone needs to hear the gospel. The gospel of the grace of God in Christ that purchased redemption for fallen sinners who were running from God and fighting against him with every ounce of their 
of their energy and, and Jesus died in the place of fallen sinners and everyone who believes in him and puts their trust in him will be justified, will be made right with God, will receive the righteousness of Christ, will receive eternal life, will be made like Christ, will be with him forever. interesting how we live sometimes it's just very interesting if I did my math correctly there's 65 days till the next election if I did my math right and I want to say this to you church please do not live the next 65 days of your life as if if your preferred candidate or your preferred party doesn't win the world is going to end we are not promised the American dream in the Bible. Christians are promised heaven. Heaven. And suffering here. You gotta get one thing straight. Your political party, your political affiliations, your favorite politician will not save the world. Cannot save the world. Every false hope you put in a politician is misguided. Every false hope you put in a coalition of people to do what you think is right is misguided. What does the Bible say? Some trust in horses, some trust in chariots, but we will trust in the name of the Lord our God. And by the way, the Constitution is awesome. I love the American Constitution, but it is not in the Bible. There is no guarantee for America Many have fought and died for her, noble, courageous, self-giving, yet it was for a temporary cause. It is for a temporary cause. If you think it was for an eternal hope, you are believing a false gospel. This is the best part about being a Christian at every moment in time. Christians keep getting to do what we do and there's no law, no mandate, no guideline, no edict that can change what we're called to do. You might not like what comes out in the public square. You might not come, like what comes out in, in, from politicians, but without God and his word, you have nothing to say. But the God-fearer knows the delight of dependence on God in the midst of distressing circumstances. Because you know that the glory of the gospel is far better. The glory of the gospel is magnificently greater than what's going on here under the sun. I mean, a believer has thoughts of God, glorious thoughts of God. A believer gets to desire to do God's will. Uh, but we can know as believers that we've been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To obtain an inheritance that is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away. Reserved in heaven for us. who are protected by the power of God for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. We rejoice in this salvation even though now for a little while if necessary we are distressed by various trials. But we know that the proof of our faith, 
more precious than gold that perishes, though tested by fire, will result in praise and honor and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. There will come a day. And until then, we trust God every day. This is what we do. This is how we live. We have so many desires. But for a Christian, we find our delight in Christ. You're not going to get all your desires, but you can find your delight in Christ. You can find your hope in Him. You can delight yourself in the Lord. He will give you the desires that are pleasing to Him. That You would say, nothing I desire on earth compares to you, O Lord. Everything else is going to fade like the grass. I don't want to leave without encouraging you to do a couple things this week that I think will help us all. Help your soul. Help your family. Help the church. Help our witness to the world. I want to encourage you to do three things. Pray, resist, and bless. Pray, resist, and bless. 1 Timothy 2 tells us to pray for your leaders. I can admit to you, I don't often pray for our politicians and our leaders. I'm going to encourage you and I both, all of us, to pray for our leaders. Pray for their soul. Pray for their motives. Pray for God's will. Don't pray for your agenda. Don't pray that your agenda will come about. God is not a drive-through taking orders. This is not, here's what I want and here's what I need and I need to get this. Just pray, but also resist. Titus 2, Romans 13, 1 Peter 2, all talk about honoring those in authority over us in the public square. And I want you to resist your resistance against doing that because you're going to try to find every reason, and some of you have done this, try to find every reason to get around those biblical mandates. And there is no loophole. Resist your resistance. Detox yourself from your own mind. Here's what I want to ask you to do. Try to go a week. Someone told me this. They said, they're going to, people are going to be angry at you that you asked them to do this. And I'm like, you know what? It feels impossible, and it's the reason we should try to do it. And trust God. Try to go a week, one day at a time, one hour at a time, not talking or posting or complaining about this current political season. Philippians 2 says, Do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life, so that in the day of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. We get caught up in our complaining. Joel Beakey put it this way, how are murmuring spirits complaining and grumbling fly in the face of the third commandment because we are implicitly denying the goodness of God's name and providence. In our days of multiple problems, we too may be prone to imbibe a complaining spirit. Will you and I ask God to forgive us 
for our grumbling and pray for grace to truly believe his promise that all things work together for good to those who love God? That you would pray for every leader. That you would resist your resistance and that you would, you would bless. Because here's the thing. Every moment that you would have talked or posted or complained about this political moment, I want you to bless someone for Jesus and the gospel. Use that time. Redeem that time for good. Because how you treat those you disagree with says the most about your character. It says the most about your character. I think that assignment's going to keep you and I busy all week and get us ready for next week's sermon. We need to wisely accept what God provides. Whatever the process, whatever the preference, God puts people in power, wisely accept his will. Seek wise counsel, see things biblically, see people realistically, but sincerely accept what God provides. God sees not as man sees. Man looks at the outward appearance. The Lord looks at the heart, 1 Samuel 16, 7. 2 Corinthians 10 says, it's not the one who boasts in himself that is approved, but the one the Lord commends. 2 Corinthians 10, 5 says, we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God, and we take every thought captive to obey Christ. Jesus is the wise king from of old. Jesus is the wisdom and power of God. Jesus' throne has no rival. Jesus' kingdom has no end. Find your everything in Jesus Christ. Find your soul's rest in Jesus Christ. Listen to his wise counsel in the word as you pray, as you resist your resistance, and as you bless and as you wisely accept what God provides. Lord, we thank you that you know all things. You do all things well, and you know our hearts. You know where we need changing and rearranging and comforting, and we thank you that one day We'll see a different picture than we see now on earth. We will see, as, as John saw in Revelation 7, a, a great multitude praising you because the Lamb, the Lord Jesus, in the midst of the throne will shepherd us and lead us to fountains of living waters and, Lord, you will wipe away every tear from our eyes. We praise you, Lord, that you have a purpose in this world, you know exactly what you are doing and when and why. Lord, may our ambition be to be pleasing to you, to love to honor you as we wisely accept what you provide. We pray all these things in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. Amen. Would you stand if you're able and join us as we respond singing praise the Father, praise the Son.
us and empowers us to live pleasing to God. And this is our this is our uh, goal for the week, right? We want to please the Lord. And um, as you go today, please consider how you can serve in some way. Uh, Marty Young is going to be back at the info booth. He's right there. He's going to move over there, out there, because he needs you help out with Awana. And there's a lot of other opportunities to serve too, but today we're focusing on Awana. We really need some leaders. We're starting September 23rd and uh, probably the youth and children are going to all be here. We figured out a way to make it happen and uh, get the word of God out and uh, encourage young lives. Okay, and so uh, as you leave today, please go that way to the right uh, towards the playground as you leave. Please exit the tent very quickly because someone prayed, I mean, preached a little long. And then um, also feel free to hang out on the campus and fellowship with one another. But please get out of the tent right away, okay? Um, Just because we have another group coming in. All right. We're going to end with Romans 11, 33 to 36. Oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. Who has known the mind of the Lord and who has been his counselor? Who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen.